and we can feed on the Word and partake together. If you would, open to Galatians chapter 1. As we begin a new study, a new series, studying the book of Galatians, this epistle, letter from an apostle, the letter of Galatians. We won't make it very far this morning, but we're excited to begin this study. Again, God has inspired these words also from the Apostle Paul and given them to us as His Word forever. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Father, as we study Your Word, God, and as we come to hear from You, Lord, I pray that that's who would speak to us, Lord, that Your Word would be living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, that it would divide between every part of us. It would discern our thoughts, our feelings. Father, that we would find the areas that we have rejected you or your word. Father, that we've rebelled against you. We have turned from you. God, I pray that even if we think we haven't, Father, that you would show us ways that we have and we'd repent, we'd change by your power. God, your spirit would work in our hearts and minds through your word. We ask this only because we know that you hear, because we know that you will answer, because it's your will, because you're good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the reason for this apostle, this e- writing this epistle, <laughs> the reason for this epistle is the twisting, the distorting of the gospel that was happening in the churches in Galatia. Now, it was in specific ways. It's going to be very helpful for us to study this letter. But how many of you have heard lessons of, uh, from Galatians? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you can if you'd like. But how many of you, like me, have heard lessons on Galatians? And it was, it's always been introduced as this is a letter that's written against a false gospel of adding works to salvation. And you've wondered, okay, that's true. I've got that. Um, why do we have to study it? <laughs> If Galatians is all about the gospel and don't add works to the gospel, salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, um, we've got that. Why isn't Galatians just the size of 2 John or 3 John? (laughs) Why is it so long? Why do we have to study it? Because I got it. The people around me got it. We all understand. Let's just move on to something else. If you're able to raise your hand, because I've already admitted that I've done that myself, how many of you have gone through Galatians and thought that thing? Okay, well, maybe some of us. The more holy of us have have not done that, have never thought that. One of the ways that we've missed the importance of Galatians, one of the ways that we haven't been very good at studying and learning from Galatians is that we don't understand how easily, how often, how regularly we, brothers and sisters, we fall into the error of adding to or subtracting from the gospel. It can sound a lot less obviously wrong than, you must add good works to be saved. Okay? It can, it can sound a lot less obvious than that. It can sound like that. Someone can just come out and say that. But it, it usually is a lot more appealing to our flesh, and it seems more obviously correct to us. So to set up this 
study of Galatians and to, and to get us really running into chapter 1 here because this is just the opening to the letter, but there's a whole lot more going on here to this opening of this letter than just here it's from, here's who it's from, here's who it's to, and, and let's get on with it. There's a lot more to it. I wanted to find out some of the ways that we can twist, we can distort the gospel into something of our own, our own making, our own imagination, our own creation. And I started researching, I started praying, I started thinking of ways that we distort the gospel. And, and I started with a couple, and then a couple more, and a few more, and you see the front page of your notes there. <laughs> it just started getting uh, out of control. I mean, all of the different ways that we, in our minds and hearts, in our actions, in our words, can twist, distort the gospel into something different. There are 16 ways here on the front of our notes. <clears throat> I had 17, I cut it, and I thought, let's just not keep going. <laughs> let's just stick with these. These are current, modern-day distortions of the gospel. There are probably more. You may have heard some of these before, and some of these just may step on your toes. They did mine. I've fallen for some of these. We'll talk about that later. But let's think about the first one. The first way that we can distort the gospel, that we can, we can twist the gospel, is the first one, number one, the add-on gospel. Add-on. You know, we're all pretty good people at heart, this gospel teaches. We mean, well, nobody's perfect, but, you know, you're doing the best you can. Just add Jesus to your life. Life's already pretty good, but when you add Jesus, add him on, and it just gets better. Just gets better. The gospel of the add-on gospel leaves out reality, <laughs> that life isn't always just great and perfect. It leaves out the idea of difficulty, sin, God's coming judgment, which also leaves out God's grace, because when you take out judgment for sin, you take out God's grace to save us. It's really just a bonus add-on gospel. It's a twisting. It's a distortion of the gospel. The second one, number two, a popular one is the self-esteem gospel. The self-esteem gospel. You're awesome. You're amazing. In fact, you're so awesome that God can't live without you. He would rather die than live without you. You're so awesome and special that we need you and we can't live without you. Please come to the service. If you're not coming to the worship service, if you're not coming to the Koinonia group, it's because we haven't affirmed your deepest need to convince you how awesome you are. You don't need to talk about sin. You don't need discipline. You don't need faith or love or grace or mercy. You need more self-affirming, awesome talk. Is he overdoing it a little bit? Yeah, but this is how it's done. This is, this is how this gospel is, is taught to us. You need tips for how to affirm yourself when you look in the mirror, which should be all the time. You need to have those tips to, to fill up your negative self-image and insecurities with something else every time you take a selfie. It's more important that we talk about those things than anything God says in his word. It replaces the truth of God's word, replaces it with self-esteem language. Number three, the psychology gospel. This is closely related to the self-esteem gospel, but the psychology gospel is a little bit more broad. In this gospel, I have experienced deep emotional hurt. I've experienced trauma, neglect, rejection, and I need healing. I don't need to hear anything about sin. I don't need to hear anything about judgment. I don't need to hear anything about God's grace or his mercy. I don't want to hear anything about God's power, his goodness. I need to talk about me, and I need you to talk about me. 
I need Je- if Jesus is going to be part of this conversation, then how is he going to be here for me? I need Jesus to care for my emotional and psychological needs so that I can be who I was meant to be. I need therapy. I need drugs. I need a safe space where everybody understands me and accepts me for who I am, and there's no change needed or talked about. I've been damaged, and if I act out, you call it sin, but that's hurtful even more to me, and no amount of God's power in the gospel can help me unless that gospel is full of psychology, therapy, drugs, psychiatry, whatever it is. It's a powerless, man-made gospel. Number four, the next way that we can twist and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ is to come up with the expressive individualism gospel. That's kind of a long one. (laughs) Big words here. Expressive individualism. This is the gospel that empowers you to be you. Follow your heart into what God is leading you into. Live authentically. It's okay that whatever you do, because you've been forgiven, right? God made you who you are, so be what you are, be who you are. Don't change. Don't be conformed to any system. Don't be conformed to any pattern. The truth is in you because Jesus is in you. So just follow yourself. Be you. Just do you. This is the expressive individualism gospel. This gospel rejects God's truth that that we need to be changed from the sinful, rebellious people against God that we naturally are into saints who glorify him in all that we say and do. It makes what I want king over everything else, and it becomes my identity, the way that I express myself, the way that I communicate to you who I am. The next one, number five. Many of you have heard of the prosperity gospel. That's this blank, the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus, and he guarantees that you will be happy, that you'll be healthy, that you'll be wealthy, that you'll have everything you need and everything that you want. Just trust more. You'll have no more troubles. You just give and give and give to him, and he'll give you back even more than you gave him. And here's what's even more catchy and and just dangerous, really, about this gospel. If there are people around you who tell you that this is a false gospel, reject them. Get them out of your life because they're tearing you down in your faith, right? You, You know, get rid of anybody that's trying to tell you, no, this is not the right gospel. No, get rid of them. How's that for contrary to the gospel of Jesus? Jesus said in this life, you will have troubles. Paul says, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Certainly don't reject brothers and sisters. Number six. Number six, another way that we distort the gospel is the faith plus gospel. The faith plus. Yeah, salvation is through faith, but that's not all there is. Now watch closely with this one. The Bible says real faith is real when it produces action, and that's true, right? It's not theoretical. A a real faith produces action action, but that doesn't mean that the actions that stem from your faith become added together with your faith to bring about salvation. Salvation, again, is only by grace through faith. This is going to be a constant throughout Galatians, and we're going to see this, and we're going to, Lord willing, understand this better and and, and interpret this from the Scriptures and apply it to our mind, our thoughts, our hearts, our feelings. But 
the faith that, that we have that is salvific, they say, the, safe, the, the faith that saves us because of Jesus' work will produce actions. But those actions, those works, are not the necessary substance of true saving faith. They are the necessary result of true saving faith. This one will be, we will fall for this one too easily to add our works to our faith to believe that we're saved. Number seven, the next way we can distort the gospel is through a cheap grace gospel. Cheap grace. I've been saved from my sins. I've got my ticket to heaven. Jesus paid it all, therefore I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. I can disobey. I can obey. Jesus is just, he's going to forgive it all. He already has, right? I'm not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. I never could. Therefore, I don't have to care about God's law. I can disobey. I can break every commandment. doesn't matter. Jesus saved me. I don't have to do anything, so don't ask me to do anything, right? <laughs> uh, God told me what to do and what not to do, and I don't have to do any of it. Jesus did it, so stop telling me what to do and stop asking me to do anything. This is a very comfortable, a very easy gospel for us to fall into and to buy into and to believe. The next one, number eight. This is the positive gospel. Positive gospel. You know, I really only want to think about and talk about the good stuff, the, the positive stuff, right? The stuff that makes you feel better, the likable parts of the gospel. Let's stop talking so much about sin, about God's coming wrath, His judgment. Let's not talk about obedience and, and commandments and all of that. Let's just talk about grace and, and joy and love, you know, let's talk about all of the good things that Jesus talks about. Tell people all the good that Jesus is and does. Throw all that stuff out that's offensive, that's negative, that's upsetting. And in this gospel, we, if we keep our heads in the clouds. <laughs> and we have nothing to say. We have no way to understand when life smacks us upside the head with reality, with difficulty, with persecution, with afflictions, with troubles, with all of the things that happen in life. We don't understand it because this is supposed to be so positive. <laughs> and then when the people around us have trouble, we have no idea what to do, no idea what to say because I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just not believing enough. Maybe you just, you know, maybe you haven't, maybe you're not saved if you have troubles in your life. <laughs> this gospel affects our thinking. We're halfway through some of the ways that we can twist, that we can distort the gospel. And in many of these ways, we don't even really necessarily recognize it, that we're doing it. And we wouldn't say, hey, look, I'm believing in a false gospel. We're just, we're buying into these things that are so appealing to us. And they're so, they seem so obvious and so right. Let's keep going since we're only halfway through. Number nine, the works gospel. Works, good works. You've been bad, but you can be good. So be good. Be better. Try harder. <laughs> if you fall, well, you need to make up for it. You need to, here's one thing that we do. You need to feel bad enough for it, right? When you've messed up, well, you better feel really bad. You've got to feel really guilty that you just messed up. And maybe after feeling really guilty for a while, then, then you'll feel better about it afterward. You know, that's a works gospel, that I can, make my, I can beat myself up so much that I messed up uh, that, um, that I'll feel better at the end. That's the gospel. That's how I can get through life. That's what I can look forward to. Do something that makes you feel better, you know, when you've messed up. Uh, I, I've got to do something. I've got to make up for 
the sin that I did. I've got to go do something good to, to, to make up for it. Rationalize it in some way. That's a, those are all different ways that we can invent this twisted gospel of works. Number 10. Here's a popular one today. This is the mysticism gospel. Mysticism. It's all about the experience. This gospel is the highlight of your feelings. Get in touch with God. Hear God speaking to you through the leaves rustling in the trees, uh, through people speaking, through cars and the movements, and uh, worship uh, God through all of these things. You know, it's not worship unless you feel something. So, so let's get in touch with him. You know, I need to be laughing uncontrollably or crying, you know, with tears just pouring down my face. On, and I, if I'm not doing that, I'm not worshiping, right? Because I need to, to have this experience, this feeling in a mysticism, mystical kind of gospel. Uh, you know, or, or in, instead of coming to church and wanting a feeling, I just won't go to church. Who needs church, right? I don't need God, uh, God's word. I don't need his Bible. That's just words on a page. I want to hear from him because as if God would tell me something different from what his word has said. I'll just go out to nature and experience God. Or I'll just stay home because it's the same thing. I can just feel God at home. I can feel God in nature and at church. That's the mysticism gospel. Number 11, there's a ritual gospel. A ritual gospel. I'm checking the boxes. I go to church. Check. I go to that uh, small group with the K word thing. You know, I can't pronounce that. Who do, but I go to it. The Koinonia groups. Right? I, I, can, I don't know how to say that. I'll just check. I'll check the box, though. I go to the coin in your group. I go to Sunday morning. I give $10 every week. Check. <laughs> I even went to prayer night once. <laughs> check. <laughs> I can say the words. Gospel, grace, faith, Jesus. We do life in community. We have missional, intentional, authentic community. You know, I say all the buzzwords. I, I check all the boxes. I've got all of the things right, and I've got all these things down. And uh, the heart, yeah, that's important, but really nobody actually understands what that means. And if I just keep doing these things, the heart will follow along eventually one of these days. But if it never does, it's okay because I've got all of these rituals. I'm checking the boxes. Number 12, we can twist the gospel by inventing, creating a legalism gospel. A legalism gospel. This is related to the ritual gospel, but these are other rules. You know, the, the rules before in the ritual gospel, those are all, a lot of the times, the things that God has said we need to be doing and the things that we need to be about. In the legalism gospel, I've got other rules, and these are important to me because these are what I'm convicted about. They're important. I'm not convinced about other things, so I'm not going to have them as part of my rules. Even if I should be convicted about those things, I've found a way to rationalize my way around those. But why do I do these things? Why do I not do these things? Well, look at what I am doing. I've, I've got all of these rules, and, and these are boxes that I'm checking, like in the ritual gospel, but these are all the extra boxes. I mean, this, I'm going above and beyond, right? This is how holy I am. These are inferred from Scripture, but they're not Scripture. And here's how we can tell when we're doing this. When I don't do my list of legalism gospel checkboxes, then I'm not really sure about my salvation. I don't really know. Am I really saved when I didn't do these things? Are those people over there saved because they didn't do the things that I've got in my legalism checkbox? 
It's a prime way that believers get cut down in the church. You know, you don't measure up to my invented rules, my legalism gospel. People get discouraged, people leave. Number 13, and this is a big one today, particularly on today, the 4th of July weekend, where we're celebrating that God has placed us in this nation, and we're grateful for this nation and the the laws that we've had, the freedoms that we've been able to, to appreciate, to enjoy, to be grateful for. But in this gospel, this is a twisting in an activism gospel. Number 13 is the activism gospel. You know, did you, did you sign that petition? How can you call yourself a Christian? Have you, have you signed other people up in the petition? You know, how can you say you're saved? You, you haven't protested? You haven't gone to a protest or a rally or, or signed a, a this or, or gone to that? You know, how can you be a Christian when you haven't sued somebody to keep your rights? <laughs> this is an activist group masquerading as we're following Jesus. We're trying to bring his will about on this earth, in this nation. Number 14, the intellectual gospel. The intellectual gospel is someone who asks questions like, well, have you read the Bible cover to cover? I do every day. (laughs) Have you ever read the systematic theology books that are this thick? I do twice a year right? I know what the fifth word of every book of the Bible is. I've memorized it. Aren't you impressed? (laughs) I've memorized the whole of Psalm 119. I could start teaching you Romans without studying, just right here and right now, no preparation. And not one of those things that I've ever mentioned or done has touched any of my heart. That's this intellectual gospel. I can nitpick anything anybody else says, because nobody knows the Word of God like I do. And they've all got it all messed up. They've got it twisted. Everything's out of context. Anybody says. I can question motives. I can spot bad theology a mile away. I can see you coming in this intellectual gospel. I'm fully able to confront anybody on any issue, even if it's just a preference, and I take every opportunity to do so. That's this intellectual gospel. There's memorization. There's a pride There's even a, you know, just, I can give you every bullet point of theology and salvation, but I have twisted the gospel into just that, a bullet list. Number 15, the community gospel. A community gospel, this is a twisting of the gospel to understand that, uh, yes, the good news is we're all friends, closer than friends, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. Salvation in this gospel is not salvation from sin and its consequences. It's salvation from loneliness. It's salvation from meaninglessness when I'm just alone. I have community. I've got people to care for me. So when I have a problem, why aren't you all fixing it? Isn't everybody, that's your job, right? You're all around me and I'm part of this community so you can solve all my problems. You can fix every issue. You can do everything for me. I shouldn't have to do anything. I'm having a party at my house. Why didn't everybody show up? I've invited them over and they haven't come. Maybe they're not saved. (laughs) Maybe they don't understand true community where they're there to help me (laughs) with everything I need help with. That's 15 of them, now 16. This is a lot. We've gone through a lot of them, haven't we? The final way that we have for this morning that we can twist the gospel is the social gospel. The social gospel. This gospel is supposed to bring 
peace and wellness here, right here, right now. In this gospel, the question that is asked is, what good is a a gospel that only cares about people in the future in heaven, whether they go to heaven or hell? What good is a gospel like that when somebody's starving to death right in front of me? When they need shelter, when they need clothing, they, they have needs right now. The gospel is freedom from hunger, freedom from need, freedom from oppression. The gospel is justice and its rightness and equal equality and equity for everyone. Now, which one of these 16 twistings and distortions of the gospel are right? None of them. Are there more? Absolutely. We can fall into one or more of them at different times. These all have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. In every one of these, there's some truth. In every one of these, there's some good. In every one of these, Christians probably could be a part of some of these things, but they overtake, they overshadow, they replace, they twist and distort the gospel. It's a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, His truth, Romans 10 says. Sometimes we'll grab onto one of these, we'll go for a while, and it stops working, so then we'll jump over to another one. Often we believe and live out more than one of these, and it's so slippery because, like we said, there's so much truth in so many of them. There's some Scripture, but not the full Scripture, not the truth, since much is left out and much is added. You'll see some boxes to the left of the list here in in this chart. You may want to check the box next to one or more of these, just, just to, between you and the Lord to say, yeah, yeah, I'm tempted toward this twisting or this distortion, or I have been in the past. And then don't be okay with it. Don't, don't just, you know, check the box and then say, wow, okay, well, I'm glad I know about that. I'll just try to avoid it. No, let's search and destroy in our hearts and minds any of these ways or others that we have twisted, that we've distorted, we've added to or taken away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you that uh, I've fallen for some of these um, if I were to be checking those boxes, and you don't have to share with others, but I'll share with you, I've gravitated toward the first one, and rather than numbering these, I'll just give you numbers 5 through 14. <laughs> There's only a couple that I just haven't gravitated toward, or my heart hasn't been tempted toward, but so many of these twistings and these distortions, are, they just seem obvious to us. They just seem like they're, they're good things. Yeah, this, is, this should be part of my life. This should be part of what it looks like to live out the gospel. The, these things that we add, that we subtract. And many people will teach these things. And so here's a discernment lesson for us, a, a, a way of, of discerning as we're hearing teaching, as we're hearing things of, and, and we're, we're bringing these lessons and these teachings into our mind. We need to evaluate what we're hearing But we need to ensure that we never evaluate or accept any teaching based only on whether there is, number one, some truth in it. Just because there's some truth doesn't mean that it's the whole truth. It's not the truth that's in these twisted gospels. It's the error that's in it, right? It's not the fact that it's pure. Uh, it's not the fact that it's got pure truth in it. It's, it's mixed with something else. Never evaluate or accept any teaching based only on whether, number two, there are Bible verses quoted. 
There are Bible verses quoted. It's just too easy for a person to quote a Bible verse, either completely out of context or, or just making up something, uh, using a different translation to, to make it say what they want it to say so that it's misunderstood or misapplied so that you'll listen, so that you'll be convinced, okay, this seems right. So just because there is some truth, just because there are Bible verses quoted, number three, don't accept any teaching simply because there are familiar words or keywords. Familiar words or keywords, you know, just because somebody says Jesus or faith or grace doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth, the whole truth, the gospel, according to the Scriptures. The Jehovah's Witnesses use God's name. The, the Latter-day Saints use Jesus' name. It's a different God. It's a different Jesus. Familiar words, key words, don't mean that someone is teaching you or that we're even believing the whole truth, the whole gospel. Number four, don't just accept anything only because it resonates with you. It resonates. I like this teaching. It makes me feel good. It's appealing in some way to me. It can be our flesh that's appealed, that's liking and that's preferring certain teaching. It may fill a need in some way or it may be something that I like, but that's not a good test for whether something is true. Finally, number five, don't accept any teaching just because the teacher is popular. Just because a teacher, a preacher, a pastor has written a lot of books, or they have a lot of educational letters behind their name, or because they're on TV or radio or internet, because they have clips, because they've sold a lot of books, whatever it is, doesn't mean that they're presenting the truth. And that goes, brothers and sisters, for this pulpit on this platform. Just because somebody is standing here on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that everything that they say, everything that I say, is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, please, God. <laughs> Evaluate, compare with Scripture. Grab on to what's sound, what's, what's true according to God's truth, the whole counsel of His Word. Now, why have we gone through all of that? Well, this parallels what the Galatian churches were buying into, a, a false gospel, a twisted, distorted gospel. And it doesn't matter that it started out with the true gospel, and it doesn't matter that these people were very well-meaning and well-intentioned and sincere and genuine and authentic. It doesn't matter what was happening. It was a twisting of the gospel. That's what was important, and they were buying into it. And brothers and sisters, it's temporally, that means right here and right now, it's temporally and it's eternally dangerous to buy into or to believe any kind of gospel other than the true one, the pure gospel in the Scriptures. Paul's going to be teaching and pleading that here in Galatians. So let's stay with Galatians. Let, let's understand the importance of this book and this letter uh, for destroying all of the twisted false gospels that are presented to us, that are taught to us, uh, that we've believed in, that we've been a part of, that we've sung, that we've prayed, that we've taught, <laughs> that we've passed on. Let's be watchful. Let's be aware. Let's be careful. So with that short introduction, let's look at these first two verses of Galatians. Paul, the first word here in verse 1, Paul. These churches knew this man, Paul. He had come to them. Again, I believe with many other conservative scholars and pastors during his first missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts chapters 13 and 14, 
He came, he had preached Christ crucified and raised from the dead, and they had believed. Now, why did they believe that message? Just because somebody comes from a long way doesn't mean that they have the right gospel, right? We, we've just been talking about that just because somebody is popular, just because they say some words. They had, they had come uh, to believe this gospel because Paul had come to them as an apostle, an apostle with a capital A. Now, apostle itself means one who is sent out with a message and with the authority of the one who sends them out. That's what an apostle is. I've got a message, I've got the authority, and I'm, so I'm sent out to deliver that. I'm clothed with the king's authority, the king's message, or whoever it was that sent them out. But there are three different kinds of apostles at work in Galatia, in these churches in Galatians. The first one you'll see in your notes there is apostle with the capital A, the big A apostle. That was a special office in the church. It was reserved only for a a select few, small number of men. So special that it was only those who had seen the resurrected Jesus and were sent out directly by him on mission. Those were capital A apostles. The 12 disciples of Jesus were called apostles. Judas proved not to be true or real. He was removed. Matthias was chosen to replace him in Acts chapter 1. And later on, Paul would be added. So, if you were to count the number of capital A apostles that have ever lived, there were no more than 14, if you take out Judas, than 13. There's a second kind of apostle. Number two, there were other apostles, those that were sent out by the church. This is lowercase apostle. They had the same message, Jesus' message. They had Jesus' message, but they didn't have Jesus' authority as a capital A apostle. They had the authority of the church that sent them out. So when a capital A apostle wrote something or said something, it was authoritative with Jesus' authority. When an apostle sent out by the church said something or wrote something, it needed to be compared against what a capital A apostle had written. So it would be verified, so it could be confirmed. The authority for the lowercase apostle was in the message, not in themselves. There were, of course, number three, other apostles. These are also lowercase apostles. They, they claimed to be apostles. They had the authority of their church or the group that sent them out. But most importantly, the difference here is that they had a different message. They have a different message, a false gospel. Usually, there's a very inflated sense of their own importance, their own authority, as they come and they try to spread their false gospel. Usually they would attack either of the first two kinds of apostles because they have such an inflated sense of themselves. So Paul had come to Galatia. He'd come to these churches as the first type, the capital A apostle, sent directly from the resurrected Jesus with this message, this gospel. And what the false teachers, the, the false gospel teachers did to the churches in Galatia was essentially accuse Paul of being the third type. Oh, Paul... He wasn't the capital A. He wasn't sent out directly by Jesus. He had other people send him out. And he's got a different message. You need to start obeying the law. You need to start doing this false, twisted gospel that we have sent here. And they wouldn't have called it that, obviously. But that's what they were accusing Paul of being. So even though in verses 1 through 5 here of chapter 1, and we only read the first two verses, even though this is a typical greeting of a letter, there's a lot more going on here. Paul is just jumping right into defending his apostleship 
in verses 1 and 2, and his message in verses 3 to 5. And that's going to continue for many verses, many verses in Galatians. But here, right at the beginning, he just jumps right into it because it's so important. It's so urgent. Why? Because these, these people were buying into, they were believing a false gospel, a twisted, distorted gospel that will never save them from anything, especially God's wrath on sinners. So Paul does not have a typical greeting where he says, I thank my God for you because you're so wonderful. You're so faithful. I love you all so much, and I'm so grateful for you. No, he just jumps right in. It's like the doctor who's been told his patient has just suffered a heart attack. His heart has stopped. He's not breathing. The doctor does not stroll into the office, ask how everybody's doing, ask the patient, would you like some water? He's not breathing. His heart has stopped. The doctor gets right to work and jumps right in to help this man come back to life. That's what Paul's doing here. He doesn't stroll in with this letter and say, hey, guys, how's everything going? Hope you're doing well. I've missed you so much. He says, Paul, an apostle. What kind of apostle? Not from men and not through man. That just eliminated the second and the third type of apostles. He's saying, look, I came and I am still a capital A apostle sent by Jesus himself. There was not any human being or any group of human beings that sent him out. He didn't take it upon himself to go out. He was sent out by Jesus with this message, the message of the gospel that he gave to him directly and personally. Now, some people say, well, in Acts chapter 13, you see that you know, Paul and Barnabas, they had the church lay hands on them, and then they were sent out. But when we read Acts 13 and verse 3, we see that the Holy Spirit said, set them apart because of the work that I have for them to do. God had already sent Paul. Jesus himself had already sent him out. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. Not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It wasn't just any person or just any man. It was the God-man, Jesus Christ, and God the Father who sent him out. Do you remember in, in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was converted, he fell on his face before this Jesus whom he was persecuting. In chapter, tw- in chapter 9 verse 20, his message was Jesus. Immediately he believed and immediately he started teaching and preaching Jesus saying he is the Son of God. There's no mere man that gave Paul this message. He didn't come up with this gospel message himself. Jesus did. Jesus gave it to him personally. He didn't go through any other person. Jesus didn't give it to somebody to tell Paul this, you know, tell Paul this thing and then send him out. That's why the people of Galatia, the churches, had listened to Paul. He came to them as a capital A apostle. But it's not even left up to the question over which God, which Jesus, God the Father, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus had been dead. He had been humiliated. He had been beaten. He had been crucified and killed. Yet God the Father raised him from the dead. So it's God himself, the only one who has power to raise anybody from the dead. It was Jesus Christ, the one who had done God's will so perfectly and fulfilled everything so completely that God accepted his sacrifice and raised him from the dead. That true, pure gospel was acceptable, was invented, created by God and given directly to Paul. So the apostle Paul was directed by the true God, by the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, to bring the true gospel to the churches of Galatia, and they had believed it. They had believed it rightly when he was there. But as if that wasn't enough, as if it wasn't enough that a capital A apostle had, had come to them, 
It wasn't enough that it was Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, as we read about in Acts chapter 13, that had sent him out, as if all of that wasn't enough. Paul gives another evidence of his authority and uh, his, his message being true in verse 2. He says, and all the brothers who are with me. Paul had a group of witnesses who were there who would testify to the things that Paul was saying. Yes, this is the true gospel. What Paul gave you is the true gospel. He says they are brothers, so they're not below him. They're not underneath him in in some way, like he's superior, even though he's an apostle. They all held to the same gospel, all of them. (laughs) More evidence here that this is what God is doing, this is what God has done. Not, Not the twisting, not the distorting that's been happening. They all rejected all of the other gospels as well. They were all unanimous in their agreement about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They stood together upon it. So the point is that his apostleship, and therefore his message, came from God. Implications here. There's a, one implication that uh, the, the same God, with the same power to raise the dead, sent Paul out to, to spread this message and give this, this, this gospel. So you better watch out that you're not fighting against God's work. If the gospel came from God and it was his mission to Paul to send it out and it was, it's our mission to believe it and to, and to spread it, we need to make sure that we're not fighting against God's work and his message. Another implication is that the false teachers were apparently coming in the name of some exalted group that, that said, we're super apostles. We're the great, excellent apostles. The mother church, the 12, whatever they claimed about themselves, They were wrong. They were lying, and Paul was telling the truth. So we all have the same need to hear the true message, the pure gospel from the true apostle written down in the Word of God. The final implication here is that if you reject Paul and this gospel, you are rejecting both Jesus and the Father. Because Jesus came uh, to Paul and gave him the message, and Paul gave the message faithfully, if you're rejecting Paul's message, you're rejecting Jesus' message. Jesus and God himself. So do we see it that clearly? As we went through those gospel distortions, as we went through all the ways that we can twist the gospel in our mind and our thinking and our hearts, do we see it that clearly where we see, look, here's the pure message, here's the pure gospel, here's how I've twisted it, here's how I've distorted it, and and to do that means I'm rejecting Jesus. I'm throwing out God's word. I'm throwing out what God has said and what God has done. Is it that urgent for us? It needs to be. That's why Paul's starting just right away in this letter this way. Well, much more that we could say about these two verses, much more that we um, will be able to say as we continue to study the the epistle together. But one of the things that we wanted to do was, uh, if you received a bookmark, you should have received a little bookmark when you came in through the doors. Uh, We want to help us with the urgency, the importance of understanding this gospel and keeping this gospel close in our minds and our hearts. And so we have a bookmark with a memory verse that helps us to recall uh, the gospel in, in as small of a nutshell as we can find in, in Galatians. And so we found chapter 2, verse 16. This is going to be a memory verse for our study of Galatians. This will hopefully help us and rem- help us to remember, remind us, um, help one another as, as we study this book together, as we try to remember and live the true gospel. 
Let's recite this together. You have the words in front of you on the bookmark. Um, as a way to, to help us remember, we'll do this regularly as we study Galatians. And we're going to have other memory verses as well. In different sections of Galatians, we'll add some more. Um, at the end of this study in Galatians, Lord willing, we'll have, I think, five different verses from the Scriptures memorized. We'll hide God's Word in our hearts so that we won't sin against Him, so that we won't twist His gospel. Let's read it out loud together. Uh, we'll have the bookmarks, and Lord willing, by the time we're done with Galatians, we won't even need the bookmarks, but we'll all hold them for now, just so nobody feels bad. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.16. We praise God for His Word, and we just want to we want to take that word of His and implant it deeply into our minds, our hearts, our souls, uh, and just remember what God has said. Our application here is to, to watch for gospel distortions. Watch for the ways that you can distort, that you can twist, that you can replace God's gospel, and then reject it. Again, that search and destroy mission. Find out, how am I moving the wrong way? How am I twisting? You could add another part of the application here. Memorize Galatians 2.16. We'll be doing that together. God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you that you delivered the gospel to us in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that he gave it to faithful men, apostles, Lord, who wrote down what Jesus said and what he did. The truth of your word, the truth of the good news, God, that we sinners, enemies of yours, haters of you, that we can be made saints, holy ones, set apart for you, so that rather than living for ourselves, rather than living in sin, and rather than living like the world, God, you will change us and make us servants of yours, children of yours, followers of Christ, disciples. Father, we can be apostles sent out with this message. God, we praise you. We lift up the name of our Savior Jesus, our God, our Lord, our Savior. Father, I pray that this gospel would not just be something that we would learn and memorize. Father, that we would not twist it, that we'd not distort it or change it, but God, that we would understand fully and truly, that we would believe, that we would love, that we would serve, that we would live it out. God, that even if nobody, can, nobody has ever read a, a, a Bible, if nobody's ever been to a church, they can see us, they can hear us, they can understand the gospel because of how you are working it out in our minds and hearts and our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people who love you and love your word. God, would you make us ready for his return? Father, when he comes and we will be ready, we'll be looking forward to that. And God, that you'll be glorified forever. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.